you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. Caught you off guard, didn't I? You were waiting for me to chat a little while before we read the scriptures. But in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 10, the prophet writes, You, talking about you and I, and the nation of Israel, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, get this, there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am He. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work And who will reverse it? Now scoot on down to verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, get this, who makes a way. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Let us pray. Father, there are days on this earth, there are weeks and months and perhaps even years where our faith wanes, our encouragement gives way to discouragement, where our burdens become way too heavy for us to bear. So Lord, today we pray that you would show us how it is you make a way in life's struggles and difficulties. We pray that you do this for your glory alone. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Did you hear that phrase in verse 16? Thus says the Lord who makes a way. There's a poem I'd like to share with you. It's up on the screen. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see, and He will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to His side, with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. If you ever study the the history of the nation of Israel, you'll find somehow, some way, God always made a way for them. He made a way for them to get out of Egypt. He made a way for them to cross the Red Sea. He made a way for them to persevere in the wilderness. He made a way for them to enter the promised land. And just as he made a way for them, he can and will make a way for you and I. And I'm glad that the God that we serve is a God of great power. He does not change. And therefore, as He has made a way for them, He will make a way for every generation, no matter what their need, if, say if, if they will look to Him. 
God will make a way in every generation, no matter what their need, if they will look to Him. Today, we're going to look at some areas where God can make a way for you. Some areas of your life where God can make a way. I'd like to begin by telling you that God will make a way in times of trouble. In times of trouble. In Psalm chapter 50, in verse 15, the Word of God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. I'll make a way, and you shall glorify me. You might say, Preacher, I ain't got no trouble. Everything's going smooth for me right now. Life is good. Well, if that's the case with you, then I want you to take this message and I want you to fold it up and put it in your pocket because trouble's coming. If you ain't experiencing it now, it's down the road waiting for you. The Bible gives testimony of many great people and the one thing they had in common was that they all faced troubles at some point in their lives and God always made a way. Always made a way through their troubles. And I don't think this can be any better illustrated than the story of a sole survivor of a shipwreck who washed up on an uninhabited island. After a while, this man managed to build himself a hut in which he placed what little he was able to salvage from the wreck. He prayed to God for deliverance. And every day, he anxiously scanned the horizon, just looking for a passing ship to signal. And one day, after hunting for some food, he returned and found his hut in flames. Truly, all that he had was now gone. It seemed like the very worst had happened. But what seemed to happen for the worst, in reality, happened for the best. For the very next day, a ship arrived, and the captain said, We saw your smoke signal. What, happened for the, what seemed to happen for the worst, in reality, happened for the best. This morning, I want you to grow in the reality, grow in the knowledge that our lives are in God's hands and that if you belong to Him, truly all things work together for those who love God. All things work together for good for those who love God. For instance, you may have heard of the Methodist preacher John Wesley who had a terrible wife. I don't hear no men laughing. That's good. She tormented him. Nagged, stayed on his back constantly. She, and, but John Wesley always said this. I attribute all my success to my nagging wife. Because she kept me on my knees. And as long as I stayed on my knees, I knew I had the victory. In Psalm 38, verse 7, the Bible says, David says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will indeed save me. 
You may have heard me tell the story of Wallace Johnson. Wallace Johnson, who was a contractor who built many Holiday Inn hotels and many small hospitals. And he said that when he was 40 years old, he worked in a sawmill. And one morning, his boss at the sawmill came in and told him, you're fired. Pack your stuff and go. Depressed and discouraged, he goes home feeling like his world had caved in on him. And he knew that his wife and he really needed that small paycheck that they were getting from the sawmill. And the first thing that he did was tell his wife, and she said, well, what are you going to do now? He said, I'm going to mortgage the house, and I'm going to start a small construction company. He said, my first job was the construction of two small buildings, and within five years, I was a multimillionaire. Wallace Johnson says, today, if I could find that man who fired me, I'd get down on my knees in front of him and thank him. Thank him for firing me. I tell him. Back then, I said, why would God do such a thing? But today, I say, praise God, I got fired. He said, then I read Psalm 91.15. that says, he shall call upon me. And I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. He said, I began to realize that it was all part of God's unmistakable, wonderful plan to get me into the life of his choosing. Sometimes what we think is the worst is actually the best. So God certainly makes a way in times of trouble. But God also makes a way in times of trials. Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, where he wrote, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That verse tells you, friend, that you will have trials. You will have trials, but not only will God make a way for you to endure the trials, but the Christian one day will look upon those trials and greatly rejoice. He or she will rejoice at those trials because it caused them to trust God more. It caused them to praise the Lord Jesus more. It caused them to bring more glory to God because he brought them through. He made a way for them through that trial. Scripture tells us that we will have trials, that we will have afflictions in this world that we live in. 1 John 3.13 even says this, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Did you know that the world will hate the Christian? We need to remember it was this world that we live in that took the sinless Son of God and nailed Him to a cross. This world hated Jesus, and if you're a true disciple of His, the world's going to hate you too. Here's the problem. Many people aren't experiencing this hate. Many people aren't experiencing any affliction for Jesus Christ because in reality, they're going right along with the world. 
In reality, most Christians aren't causing a stink. They're not stirring the pot. They're not causing any trouble. They're not telling anybody about Jesus. Therefore, they're not a threat. They're not a threat to anybody's way of life. So they don't experience that hate. But here's your bottom line. The bottom line is, is if you take a bold stand for the things of Jesus Christ, this world will hate you for it. Because Jesus stands against the things that this world stands for. Way back in the year 1415, a preacher named John Huss had a small Christian church in Prague, Russia. He was arrested, he was condemned, and sentenced to be burned at the stake. When Huss heard this sentence, he fell to his knees and he prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive my enemies. Then when he was chained to the stake, he prayed, In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. You will never put me to shame. And then the flames snuffed out his life. See, God made a way for John Huss to trust him, even in facing death. God makes a way. He makes a way in times of trouble. He makes a way in times of trial. But God will also make a way in your time of temptation. Have you ever noticed that we're always tempted in our weakest areas? Yes? No? You're going to be tempted where you're the weakest. See, Satan's kind of a wimp. Amen? He's not going to go after you where you're the strongest. He's not going to go after you where you have the most faith in God. He's going to go after you where you're the weakest. If you have determined that you're going to have your study time, your quiet time with God, and it's going to be in the morning, but you're not an early riser, and you're not a happy camper in the morning, guess where Satan's going to attack you? Guess where your temptation to slough off your study of the Word is going to be? Right there in that bed. You'll pull one of these. Or hit, hit the alarm clock. That's what I do all the time. Hit that alarm clock. What about if you're struggling with issues of anger? You know where you're going to be tempted? Right there. You're going to get aggravated. People are going to be just aggravating you through your day because that's where the enemy's going to attack you. That's where your temptation is going to be the greatest. Your struggle in patience? Guess what you're going to get to do? You're going to get to wait. That's where temptation comes and your weakest point. If your weakest area is in your speech, can I tell you that circumstances are going to arise throughout your day where your words have the greatest impact, positive or negative? That's where we're always tempted in our weakest areas. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul wrote to that church something that I know you've heard a dozen times, but never forget it, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will make a way. 
He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way, a way of escape that you may be able to bear that temptation. She may be able to bear it. A little boy named Alex was trying to save for a brand new baseball bat. But saving for that baseball bat was a most difficult struggle. And one night he said, I've got to take it to God while I'm saving for my baseball bat. And as he was kneeling, saying his prayers, his mother overheard him fervently saying, Oh Lord, please help me to save my money for this baseball bat. And, God, don't let the ice cream man come down my street. (laughs) Well, he knew where his weakest area was, and he knew where that temptation was going to come. Temptation often comes not at our strongest, but in our weakest moments. It's when we're at the limit of our patience. When you're just getting ready to pull your hair out. Some of you ain't got much hair to pull out. Amen. It's when you're at the end of your rope loving someone who is unlovable. It can be your weakest moment. When you're about to blow your top because you can't take it anymore. That might be your weakest moment. It might be where you're tempted to be most unchristian. But how many of you know that that people are going to be more impressed when they see the Christian under pressure acting like a Christian rather than here at church acting like a Christian? It's pretty easy, isn't it? It's pretty easy when we're here in the house of God with brothers and sisters who are encouraging and lifting us up. We're being encouraged. We're praising. It's so easy to be Christians here. Man, come Monday morning, when that pressure starts being applied, it's very easy for things to go south. It's very easy for things to turn bad. And how many of you know that one act of sin by the Christian can spoil a whole lifetime of witness? One time you blow it, and it can ruin your witness. I've told you, a couple times, I'm sure, about a dog we had named Gracie. The sweetest dog. She was angelic. She, if, if angels could be dogs, she'd have wings. She was so precious. And she could do all kind of tricks. Gracie could sit, shake, speak, roll over, stand up, go round and round. But let me tell you about the most difficult trick that Gracie could do. I would take a treat and make her sit, and I would place that treat on the tip of my shoe. And Gracie would freeze and could not have that treat until I said, good girl. Sometimes I'd wait just a little bit. Sometimes I'd wait three minutes. And she'd sit there, and she'd wait. But what's so interesting about that is that as she sat there, she didn't look at the treat. She looked at me. She didn't look at the temptation. She looked at her father's face. Is there a lesson in that for you and I? 
You know when you're tempted. You know where you're the weakest. How appropriate would it be for us to always look up to the master's face? Especially when we're tempted. If we could only do that, we wouldn't be sinless, but we sure sin less, wouldn't we? Amen? Always look up to the master's face, but especially when you're tempted. Many of you may have heard of the Christian reformer Martin Luther. He was asked one time, Martin, how did you overcome the devil? And he said, well, here's how I do it. When the devil comes knocking on my heart's door, and he says, who lives here? Jesus goes to the door and says, I, Martin Luther used to live here, now I live here. And immediately, the devil will see the nail-scarred hands, see the pierced side of Jesus, and take flight and leave that place. He can't stand before the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you, it's sure good to have Jesus as a permanent resident in our hearts. It's sure good to have Jesus as a permanent resident in our homes. Sadly, I think we grieve him and he's often not as present as he ought to be. If people want the Lord to make a way, and I believe everybody does, but if they want the Lord to make a way for them in times of temptation, then they need to take advantage of some of the tools that God made possible. We ought to be spending more time feasting on the Word of God and not focused so much time on the garbage that we hear, the garbage that we read, and the garbage that we watch in this world. Because wherever you spend the most of your time, Wherever you spend most of your time, that's what you're going to follow. You believe that? Say amen. Wherever you spend the most of your time, that's what you're going to follow. Spending most of your time following the things of this world, you might as well just pack your bags and go on with it. But if you're spending most of your time chasing after God, that's who you're going to follow. God will make a way in times of trouble, times of trial, and in times of temptation. But God will also make a way in the time of trusting. In Psalm 34, in verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 4, 34 in verse 4, the Bible says, this is King David, I saw the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked at him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want in those who fear him. Brothers and sisters, when you cry out to God, when you put your whole trust in God, fervently praying to God, seeking God's face, He will make a way for you in your time of need. You just trust Him. Trust Him enough to cry out to Him. To seek His face. Did you know that it was prayer back in 1620 that guided the Mayflower? Safely to this new world? 
Did you know that it was prayer in 1623 that saved those same pilgrim fathers from starvation? Did you know that it was prayer in 1777 at Valley Forge that saved the Continental Army from starvation? Did you know that it was prayer in Philadelphia that saved the Constitutional Convention and gave birth to the American way of life? Prayer. Did you know that it was prayer in 1857 that saved America from economic destruction? Did you know that it was prayer in 1918 that ended World War I? Did you know that it was lack of prayer that started World War II? Prayer. God will make a way. God will make a way if we'll trust Him and call upon His name. And if you don't, we're going to be in trouble. If you don't pray for this church, we're going to be in trouble. If you don't pray for your pastor, I'm going to be in trouble. If you don't pray for this country, this country is already in trouble. Look at what the Lord said, continuing on in Isaiah 43, down in uh, verse 22. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob. And you have not been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquity. Instead of praying, they gave no prayer, no sacrifice, no service, no giving, no holiness. And Israel paid the price for that. God never changes. What happened to Israel will happen to us if we keep on the same path. God will make a way, but only if we trust him and cry out to him. He'll make a way in times of trouble, in times of trial and temptation, but especially in times of trusting. But finally today, God will make a way in the time of your transgressions. Psalm 32, the Bible says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, though my groaning all day long, for, the day, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned to the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden, and I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Think on that for a minute. That God will make a way in the time of your transgression. In times, friend, when we sin, we can discover the joy of forgiveness. Don't know what I'd do without it. I can remember years back being asked the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity. They all sound the same, don't they? 
And if you'll notice there in verse 5 of chapter 32, that one verse uses all three terms. Sin, iniquity, and transgression. All those three words are very similar, but they do have subtle differences. They're all characteristics of a three-headed rebellion of fallen man. But iniquity refers to giving in to fleshly desires. That's what sin is. Transgressions refer to breaking God's laws. And iniquity refers to unrighteousness or falling short of God's standard of right living. The wonderful bottom line to this is that whatever way you have missed the mark, when the Christian confesses and turns away from their sin and asks God forgiveness, He makes a way. He makes a way. And He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I read the story of a little boy who came running into the house and his mother said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that all over your right hand? He said, Mama, it's a little mud. And she says, well, what are you going to do with that mud? you going to get it off or what? He said, yeah. The only problem was is that one dirty hand plus one clean hand equals what? Two dirty hands. The trouble with most people today is their hands are dirty. Their hands are dirty with sin. And they think they can just wipe it off. That they can just stop doing it under my own power. Just wipe it off and it'll be, it'll be clean. But friends, it's not just because they have dirty hands. It's because they have a dirty, sinful heart. And there's nothing we can do about the dirty, sinful heart of a human being. Only God can take care of that. Only God can cleanse that. And Jesus died for that. So we need to let the Lord make a way and forgive us those transgressions. In the early days of Christianity, St. Augustine prayed this, Lord, save me from my sins, but not quite yet. Later on, he said, Lord, save me from my sins, I'll accept this one. Do we do that? You don't say it, but you're thinking it. Then came his final prayer. Lord, save me from all my sins and save me now. It was that final prayer that brought Augustine to the conclusion that he could harbor no secret sins in his life. No more secret sins. All was revealed before God. And he realized he could have victory over those sins. He needed to confess it all and let Lord, let the Lord Jesus make a way. I'm so thankful that God makes a way in times of trouble. He makes a way for me in the midst of my trials he makes a way for me when I'm tempted. He makes a way for me, especially when I trust him. And even when I'm guilty of transgression, my God makes a way. Friends, God always makes a way for the faithful. Always. Say always. 
He always makes a way for the faithful. And can I tell you today that he has made a way for sinful people to enter his sinless heaven. He's made a way. Do you know that you have never been so sinful, that you have never sinned so much that you can't go to heaven? You never sinned so much that God's going to say, no, you can't come. You're not so sinful, but you do have to accept his solution. God's solution, his solution to your sin problem was his son, Jesus Christ. It was the only solution. It was the only one that would work. It was the only one that would allow you to enter his sinless heaven. He made a way for us to be saved from the penalty of our sin by sending his son to pay our price, that price we couldn't pay. Because we tried to do this. We tried to wipe it off, but he cleans the heart. He creates a sinless heart, one that's like his own. For by God's grace, we are saved through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Friend, would you accept that gift today? Would you accept God's gift of a clean heart and an eternal life? He offers it freely and asks you to receive it in the love that he gave it. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how could we ever thank you for such a precious gift? Lord, what could we ever say, what could we ever do that would show you how grateful we are to be saved from our sin? Lord, how could we ever act, how could we ever clean up enough to enter your sinless heaven? I guess the answer to all those is we can't. And so, Lord, we'll just bow down in utter humility and say we love you too. Take my life. Use me for your glory. Save my soul. Lord, I praise you and I thank you so much for this congregation this morning. And I pray if there's one here, even one, who has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ to be assured that they're going to be in heaven when their days on earth are through. Lord, I pray that you would do that today. All it takes, Lord, is that still soft whisper and one step of faith. The faith to step out, step forward, and allow me to show them what the Bible says, what God's word says about eternal salvation through faith in Christ. Father, this is your decision time. There may be a decision that needs to be made for recommitment. There may be a decision that needs to be made for baptism. There may be a need that, that needs to be made to join a church family. Lord, whatever the need is, we know you'll make a way. Speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.